0: It is 12 o'clock noon, so welcome to all of you who are joining us today. The Kansas Perinatal Quality Collaborative Learning Forum is a monthly opportunity for you to connect for peer-to-peer learning and exchange of ideas. My name is Anne Mock from the WSU Community Engagement Institute, and I'm joined by Tara Strada, our um, QI coordinator for the Fourth Trimester Project. I'm going to start off with just a little bit of housekeeping. Um, First of all, if you navigate away from this uh, page with, for any reason, you should be able to get back to it by finding this icon down in your system tray. Um, please do know that a recording of today's session will be made public on the Kansas Perinatal Quality Collaborative website. All of our discussion will take place in the chat. I think, and um, during our presentation, You can ask questions of our presenters, but during the presentation, the chat won't go to everyone. It'll only go to me. And that way I will be able to uh, pose your questions to the presenters um, when they're through speaking. And then when we're ready for a discussion, I'll turn it back on so that everybody can chat with everybody else in the room. I believe that's everything I needed to cover. And so with that, I will turn it over to Tara Tara.
1: Hi, everybody. So glad that you're on with us today. Um, We're going to just touch base again and remind everybody why we're together. Um, I see some familiar names and I see some new names today, and I know what it takes to get here. So from the bottom of my heart, certainly for those of us that are joining me today, we're really happy you're here. Um, If I have circles under my eyes, uh, that would be because January is upon us and baby central. So forgive the look. Um, I'm, I'm excited to be here today. Uh, Fourth trimester initiative, for those of you that are new to our group, the goal for the learning forums is to to connect dots, right? So begin to see uh, who is engaged, uh, who's not engaged, what are the things that we need to do to make Kansas the best state to have a baby. And our fourth trimester initiative is focused on engaging and empowering patients, families, providers, and communities to intentionally improve maternal health outcomes. So if you keep that in mind throughout today, we're gonna touch on another piece of important work. Um, But remember that it's not just those of us at the bedside or those of us at meetings, but it's all the people that involve from patients to the community level. Uh, We have to make sure everybody is involved. Next slide. Uh, This is the other picture of me that was an option today. So I just want everybody to jump on real quick. It's helpful for me when at the end of the meeting, to see uh, who else here. And I don't know, Anne, if we can jump onto that chat and open it up real quick. I might have screwed this up for you. But I wanted everybody to just introduce themselves with their title, if you don't mind. And I dare anybody to remember what this, the actual term PRN stands for. Especially my nurses and providers in the room. I, I had to look it up. <laughs> I'll give you a second to type it in. Oh, I'm watching your faces. It's like, (laughs) it's awesome. There it is, got it. Wonderful, just keep adding your names and your title. Give you a few seconds to do that and PRN. Wow. Great attendance today. I'm seeing lots of folks. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So we're going to keep going. You guys keep introducing yourselves to everybody and it's nice to see some, nice to see some fun happening. So the answer is pro rinata. Uh, and it does mean when necessary. I like to look up the actual meaning um, and when necessary. Uh, I think we're at the point in Kansas where we'd say that maternal health is uh, needing us. Uh, it's not PRN, but it's necessary right now. And so let's start with the rapid response conversation. What's happening in Kansas this month? Um, and I'm going to let you jump on and explain the podcast piece, but we're excited to provide this to uh, our listeners and those of us that can't join um, at the noon hour. Ann? Uh,
0: yes, thanks. Um, In your handout, there is a link that you can use for whatever podcast device you use. Um, So if you want to access the audio recording of all of our learning forums, you can subscribe. And the the links are all in your handout. So I'll drop the handout back into the chat as soon as you're done introducing each other. um, And you'll be able to click on any of those links, no matter where you look for your podcast, if that's a way that would be handy for you to um, either review or listen to learning forums that you missed.
1: Thanks, Anne. Uh, Next step on our to-do list is just a wonderful reminder and a great, flag of success that there's a new Medicaid CanCare policy that allows for maternal depression screening codes and billable um, work. There is actually an entire focus session um, next month that will surround the idea of maternal depression screening at the bedside of all layers of bedside to include pediatrics um, that will come in to you via mental health toolkit. The, the fact that Medicaid and CanCare are allowing um, or encouraging actually all of us to, to do maternal depression screening in a very standardized way and to be able to, to bill for that service, to include our pediatric, family practice, midwifery, physician, PA, or for everybody um, level is extremely important. And so uh, I look forward to, ta- to talking more about that next month with you all that aren't already doing it. I also want to put this website in front of you. Uh, When we talk about the fourth fourth trimester project, there are many states across the country that are doing uh, very parallel work to Kansas. And one of the best I've found is newmomhealth.com. This is one of the foremost authorities in fourth trimester work. Uh, The person in charge of this project is on the ACOG Um, leadership team that created that ACOG uh, committee opinion, we continue to reference and we will hear it again in a minute. So take a look at that website, see what other states are doing and see what we can do in Kansas. I'm bringing syphilis up again because I just want to make sure everybody is aware. Uh, KDHE put out a pretty strong statement at the end of November to to remind everybody that syphilis uh, cases, uh, neonatal, uh, were on the rise and we must be uh, purposeful on our maternal health side to pay attention to diagnosis and treatment. Um, and again, uh, that statement is available for your review on the handouts. CoVID update, uh, ACOG and uh, several organizations came out with a really um, helpful conversation regarding the vaccine. Um, and can you fast forward to that slide real quick? I just took a snapshot of that that combo doc. I think it's the next one. There it is. Go back one. Maybe. Go back one. <laughs> there, nope, nope. It's the it's the letter and with the titles of the group there it is thank you uh, so again all the leaders in women's health have come out um, with discussion of the COVID vaccine uh, recommendations re- especially in regards to pregnant and breastfeeding women uh, so for those of you that are talking to women and community members and family folks that I'm sure you're getting questions like I am. That are ever present, and so this is a conversation uh, starter, but also helpful in terms of the data and available resources on COVID vaccine. Okay, uh, and I think do we need to go back a slide, perhaps? Next one with the picture. There you go. So, there uh, <laughs> you go. Sorry guys. Uh, So these two lovely ladies in front of you are gonna join us, like I mentioned in February to talk about maternal mental health. You are going to notice today when we talk through case studies and surrounding a woman or a woman with um, a group of people, a synchronized circle of care that over and over again, this has to happen or, or we want for it to happen surrounding maternal mental health issues in our state. Uh, these two experts um, will be on with our learning forum in February to discuss, uh, again, the resources available, how each of us, no matter your title, can help women uh, battle mental health issues to include substance abuse, screening referrals, and treatment. We're excited to have Melissa um, and Patricia join us. Uh, they are a dynamic duo and uh, looking forward to that. So let make sure you sign up in February and come back. Okay, and keep going. We're rocking. Um, These next uh, two slides are really provided to us because we're trying to, again, connect dots between hospitals, birth centers, um, uh, outpatient clinics, public health settings, but uh, Stephanie Wolf's group through maternal child health and the Becoming a Mom education series is really staying on top of the conversation of COVID-19, um, and of vaccinations and helping patients kind of weed through all of the information coming at them. So I'm just bringing it to your attention to know that to, for you all to know that the KDHE website is updated constantly. Specific to maternal child health, there's information available to patients and providers alike. And if you have any questions about where to find information, please reach out to one of us and we'll be happy to share that with you. Next slide, in. This is an example just of of the great work that Stephanie's done across the state to make sure that their synchronized conversation, CDC and ACOG, ACNM, A1, everybody is linked into the conversation of how do we help our pregnant patients and postpartum through the COVID crisis. Next slide. Um, As we head into the conversation of a postpartum care team and why we need a group of people to take care of every single woman who delivers in our state. I wanted to bring back uh, last month's data and put it in front of you real quick, just so you have a snapshot of who we're all taking care of. Now, keep in mind that because of, of COVID, our, our statistics reports are a little bit delayed. So this is actually 2019 data, but again, pay attention. So on the top left, uh, the number of births that occurred in Kansas, grouped, of course, um, by race. Um, Interesting, and again, I'm not going to sit here and and belabor this. You always can come back to this slide and take a look at that. Right side is pregnancy outcomes, how many live births, still births, and abortions were performed in 2019. And then bottom left, the big kind of um, uh, obvious graphic is the payer class. So, of the, of the women who delivered in, K- in Kansas, uh, what was their insurance? And do they had any, did they have insurance at the time of birth? Again, fascinating information about um, who make up the women that are birthing in Kansas. Next slide. Uh, top left, again, this is data from 2019. I wanted in front of you, and especially in regards to today's conversation, leading causes of death for women. Okay, not just pregnant and postpartum, but leading causes of death for women in our state between the ages of 15 and 44. I just want you to look what it says. Okay, so you see suicide, you see unintentional in, in injuries being um, one of the top three. Um, concerns, and I would say to you that those numbers may be underreported, but we're noticing this. We saw this in the maternal mortality review side. You certainly see it in this canvas vital statistics side, but these are the people that we missed, and we need to pay attention to where we go next to help that number come down. On the top right, birth, statist- birth statistics that I just went in front of you again, how many women are smoking currently, what's the number of maternal deaths? Uh, women that breastfed. I just pulled together some data so you all could see that even in your own county, you can ask for these specifics. You can find these specific numbers if you're interested to kind of dig deeper into what's available. I find it fascinating. We do this at our county level every year. Um, I like to look at the state data too and make sure that what we're seeing is consistent, make sure that our our interventions are intentional and in fact aimed at the right goal. Next slide. And then there's the question, are you tired yet, Kansas? Um, I think we are, and I think we're tired for several reasons, but I wanna inspire you today with Betsy's help to know that what you're doing already is making an impact, we know that. We just wanna get more aligned and, and progress forward with the, the plan of, of teaming up to help women. These are the eight keys that we have found um, to believe, we believe we have found to be successful in improving maternal outcomes in Kansas. And the third bullet point, like we talked about, is going to be our focus today. So even if you're tired, I want you to uh, strap up, get your, your get your um, your listening ears on, and, and let's let's start um, fixing the problem instead of just talking about it. But but I know I know that there's a lot going on for everybody. So I appreciate again that you're willing to make change in the middle of chaos. Next slide. So today's goal specific to um, the idea of how do we improve mom's health? How do we make sure that we um, allow her the potential that she has um, and and maternal health, both again, immediately after birth, all the way through the first year um, postpartum. When we sat down and talked about um, the conversation of of NAS's success and man, out of this world. Again, Betsy, good job. Um, and all of you that participated, you blew it out of the ballpark. But what became evident to Betsy and everybody involved was that there, there may be some gaps in terms of mom mom's health, either prior to delivery, at delivery or after delivery with the needs that she would have. And these were identified through the NAS initiative. Obviously, maternal mental health is a piece of that. Obviously, substance abuse evaluation and treatment is a part of that. But insurance, transportation, support systems, all of those things became more evident with our NAS work. So I I grabbed the the baton from Betsy, but asked her to hold on. (laughs) And we're going to now switch over and see what we can do for these moms. But you all need to know that there is a coordinated effort in Kansas. And we're trying really hard to make sure that there's a complete circle produced. And today, we're going to illustrate uh, uh, some best practice models for what that looks like using NAS uh, examples and case uh, case studies, as well as on the maternal side. Um, And walk it forward, see if we can elicit some ideas for how we can make this the standard of care. Next slide. Why are times changing? I'm thrilled that times are changing. I think we all knew that um, immediate post birth to the first year postpartum was needed attention. It was like a woman delivered. We said, see you later, and we hope she showed up at six weeks and we all knew it didn't work. I would, I would be hard pressed to talk to one person that said that they thought that that actually was effective for, for maternal health outcomes to be beneficial. It wasn't. So ACOG agree. This is the statement from May of 2018. I'm drawing your attention with those uh, arrows to two pieces that, that responded or corresponded to today's conversation. Anticipatory guidance should begin during pregnancy with development of a postpartum care plan that adri- addresses the transition to parenthood and well woman care. Yes. A postpartum care plan. The last bullet point, all women should ideally have contact with a maternal care provider within the first three weeks postpartum. This initial assessment should be followed up with ongoing care as needed, concluding with the comprehensive postpartum visit no later than 12 weeks after birth. You're not done at six, folks. You got to make sure she's okay. And whatever that looks like, That's what she, whatever she needs, whatever we view as helpful to her, we must focus on not just one time. Next slide, please. I want you to just see where the brains of, of um, of the folks that are trying to drive the change, this is where our heads are and algorithms. This is how my brain thinks. So I just want you all to see, if we're trying to make Kansas the best place to have a baby, to be a mom, to be healthy, this is the focus back. And you see NAS on one side on the infant health. You see for our fourth trimester at the top. Next slide. And that's just a mess. Uh, that's just where we're going We're going forward. But again, you're going to see postpartum visits mentioned throughout that document in terms of the important, importance of seeing her all the way through a comprehensive postpartum visit. I just want you to see it. You don't have to memorize it. And I promise there will not be a quiz afterwards. Thank you, Ann. So what are, the, what are the components that make up um, a successful outcome? And to, to us, a successful outcome means a healthy mom. The mom plan, which we'll, we'll talk about here in a second, plus the postpartum care plan equal healthy moms. That's two separate things. The mom plan is the mom conversation, the mom-driven individualized care. The postpartum care plan, as you'll see addressed very specifically by ACOG, talks about who's involved, what are the things that we must evaluate that we owe our patients, expert, clinical, social, emotional health to make sure that she is as healthy, leaving the birth experience as possible, perhaps to prepare her for another birth or just to live the healthiest life possible. Next slide. The mom plan. This goes back to our conversation of what are we doing here, right? We want to improve the experiences of the moms and the families in, Ken- in Kansas by intentionally implu- improving their health outcomes with collective inspired effort. That means nothing to a woman. I put that up as a joke to myself to say, nobody's gonna actually read that more than twice a year. But what does that mean to the mom? It means that we are owning up to the fact that through a collective inspired effort, we want to hear her she's concerned about a support person present or absent money covid breastfeeding daycare insurance etc cetera, etc cetera. that's what she's worried about her plan is the address or is addressing all of those things the cdc's here campaign or hear her campaign is phenomenal and i would encourage you to take some time to look at it we will come back to that conversation as we progress in the next few months but the mom is the center of what we do. If we tell her what she has to do, what she must listen to and how this is gonna go, we won't change outcomes. Next slide. This is uh, the postpartum care plan conversation, right? So we just talked about the mom plan, and listening to her, and eliciting her investment in the postpartum plan. This is is the the medical side, so to speak. These are the things that are important to to prepare. We need to be really systematic in Kansas about producing this entire list, these elements, um, in each birth center and outpatient setting, if that needs to be connected but it involves a care team, which Betsy and I are gonna specifically talk about today in the postpartum visits that we just talk, talked about. All of those pieces and all of those elements are going to be on our action list as we change outcomes in Kansas. But today we're gonna to focus in on those top two things. The postpartum care plan is important. It's outlined, it's researched. And again, this comes from the ACOG um, committee opinion because um, we know that it works to improve outcomes. Next, this quote, new model of care, which I would tell you, you know, many of us have had some sort of a postpartum care team in our facilities um, or on the outpatient side, perhaps for a long time. We just didn't call it the postpartum care team. But today I would really recommend you make notes to yourself, no matter your your touch of a patient uh, or no matter where you sit on the caregiving of a woman after delivery, you're important or you wouldn't be here. So where who do we need and what does it involve? The postpartum care team should involve at least these folks. Nurses, infant health provider, the OB provider, uh, primary care provider perhaps could be the same person as we know in small communities, uh, specialty providers. In other words, if she needs internal medicine, if she needs cardiology, who, who does she need? Um, to to be, again, the healthiest person. Support persons, that could be one person that could be a team of three generations. An OB navigator, somebody to help her navigate the healthcare system to include all of the social determinants and making sure that she has all of the resources she needs. Certainly, our home visitors are vitally important and of course, lactation support. Next. Again, this is just the explanation, I'm not gonna belabor it, but why does it work and why does it matter? This is a good outline from that same document that talks about each of those elements I just described and why, what's their role and what do they do to improve mom's health. Again, we're talking about the the team of people that gets together, not literally, but focused effort on every single mom that comes through um, the birth experience. Um and remember, we're talking about live bursts and still bursts. I want to put that plug in. Remember, it's everybody who bursts, but these are the folks that are involved or should be, and we want to make sure that we elicit their interest in, in providing best care paths to this patient. Next. This is simply a list. I know most of you um, know at least the majority of, on the right hand side, listen and under their, the postpartum maternal screenings. For example, many of us are using Edinburgh for mental health. The postpartum care team could use Edinburgh as a constant running conversation, um, referral network, where is she on her continuum of care, um, to use a screening as a guide of where we go next. That would be one example of this list. It's certainly um, not all inclusive, but it's a start to where we know the screenings are happening in Kansas and where we can focus our postpartum care teams on um, identifying and connecting a woman to the next piece of positivity. Next slide. Maternal health indicators um, in Kansas are listed there. Again, these are not surprising to those of you that are taking care of patients. We know that healthcare access is important. We know that reproductive life planning is important. Today, we're gonna talk about mental health, depression and anxiety both, and substance abuse in our conversations of the NAS and maternal health side. Of course, we would be remiss if if we didn't mention that those are connected oftentimes to social determinants of health, both inside and outside of healthcare, and the screening and referral systems that exist, and how all these things connect um, with a postpartum care team um, involved. Next slide. So again, as you're listening to us today, you know, maybe take a picture of this with your phone or put some notes to the side. Who makes up your postpartum care team? Is it in your community? Sure. Is it to, um, or is it in your birth facility? Maybe, but who currently makes up your care team and is it complete? Or perhaps there's some gaps or perhaps there's folks that you want to get more engaged um, to make the best uh, outcomes possible. I put a big fat note to the right-hand side. What I found interesting is that there isn't a conversation listed in the postpartum care, care team discussions in the national literature about the patient. We're separating it out and I did it again today. But why we talk about the postpartum care team, do not forget the mom plan. The patient has to be part of this care path or we're not going to make an effort or make a, make progress. Next slide. With that, I would like to introduce the number one NAS woman in the state, Betsy. Will you come on and please introduce yourself and remind everybody all the hard work you did <laughs> real quick? Don't lie or I'll, I'll
2: fix that. Oh, okay. Sure. So my name is Betsy Knappen, and I am the former QI and um, educator for the KPQC when we did that NAS initiative. So when we had that initiative, we had 33 birth hospitals in the state of Kansas that did that initiative. And through that, um, I think we made some great goals. We were able, it was a two-year initiative in we just kind of supported the moms and the families, and uh, let me think. Thirty-one of our thirty-three centers became centers of excellence in NAS care, and we became a state of excellence in NAS care over those um, two two and a half years or so. Most of our centers worked on um, policies to care for the. Um, family and the infant. And most of them started out with screening protocols. So, and then a lot of them went on to do care policies to um, take care of the babies and the infants as well. So we just, they did a tremendous job. Um, It was was a wonderful experience for me to work with all the, the hospitals. So, so. So the reason I am back presenting with you guys today is Tara had asked me just to kind of present an NAS case so that you can see how we can loop everything together, um, postpartum, um, baby, mom, a package deal, and how you can support the mom in the process as well as the baby. Hopefully that summarizes it. So this is a case that um, I was involved with. We had a 33-year-old married mom. It was her first baby. She had a history of opiate addiction. She'd successfully treat um, been treated through a subutex or buprenorphine program. She would weaned off prior to pregnancy. However, during pregnancy, she started to experience opiate cravings, which um, for those of you that work with um, NASP, babies when i i do a lot of consults and the moms talk about cravings that become more prevalent in pregnancy so um she didn't want to tell her husband she was having these cravings so she obtained subutex illegally so she was able to get it without going back through a program postpartum she worried about the infants um the infant being going through withdrawal, she'd been doing her reading. So she slipped her nurse a note saying that she'd been taking Subutex and she was concerned for the infant. So, next slide, please. So it was a conversation. She was afraid to tell the dad that this is what was going on. He'd been supportive the last time she went through it, but. She didn't think that he would be supportive this time. So um, the doctor and actually I was the NMP that went down, we helped the mom um, tell the father what what had happened. We discussed that opiate addiction is a chronic illness, just like hypertension. Um, The dad was actually very, very um, supportive of the mom um, we discussed how we were going to care for the infant, how we were going to assess the infant, how they were going to provide cares for the infant, um, and that we were going to have to watch the baby for five days because buprenorphine is a long-acting opiate. And in our hospital, we keep the moms and the babies together, so we were going to keep them for five days in, um, on the mom-baby room. Next slide, please. So uh, even though the mom was discharged after 48 hours because it was a vaginal delivery, we kept the the mom and the dad downstairs on the mom-baby unit, and they continued to provide 24-hour care. The mom was able to be linked up to... um, We were able to link her up to a treatment um, clinic. Her OB knew nothing about... um, her use of subutex through her pregnancy, she did not tell them. Um, And we find this with a lot of women in pregnancy, they don't want to tell their OBs um, there for a couple different reasons. One, stigma, two, they're afraid of the repercussions. Um, So we linked her up through a treatment program. The father, like I said, remained Um, completely involved. He supported the mother and and did a lot of caring for the baby. The mom actually was able to, dad cared for the baby and mom went over and started treatment during the baby's hospitalization. We did have to do a DCF referral because her substance use was obtained illegally, but since she went into a treatment program, um, DCF um, deferred any further steps. Next slide, please. So for the infant, um, the infant did quite well on just comfort cares. Um, Mom was able to breastfeed because she was linked into a treatment program and the baby was able to go home after five days of observation. His scores remain very low on the Finnegan scoring. For infants discharge, um, we did a PCP appointment At 48 hours, we always discharge and have our babies followed up within 48 hours. We always do a verbal handoff with the um, PCP. So it's a phone handoff so that they know exactly when the baby's scheduled to come in. They know to get a hold of us if that baby isn't in that office at that specific time. Um, we scheduled the babies for a special care follow-up clinic within three weeks post-discharge, just because of the opiate exposure prenatally. Um, we did set up visiting nurses and we did set up infant toddler services or made a referral because this mom, um, DCF, had cleared the baby for home, so didn't have services through DCF. Um, next slide, please. So the mom, since we were able, our social worker actually was the one who set up her treatment and she was able to go to a local community. I felt it important just to give you guys resources because although I'm in a bigger metropolitan area where we do have resources for treatment, we do know through our NAS um, initiative that sometimes in more rural areas, it is harder to get treatment um, for the moms. So just I wanted to give you guys the maternal resources for that. And they are on the website as well at KPQC under the um, NAS initiative. But just so you know, you guys are going to have Kansas Connecting Communities next month, like Tara said, but they have a A website, they have an 800 line that you can call and to help you link up with resources. SAMHSA has a beautiful website where you can type in a zip code and it comes up with all the um, local treatment um, options within your area. So I just wanted to give you also some extra um, resources for the mom and not only for the baby. In Johnson County and Wyandotte County, we have the TIES program which will actually get moms to their appointments, get babies to their appointments. They do a lot of parenting classes. And then um, just food for thought. I mean, a lot of these moms will qualify for WIC, so getting them um, that kind of help. Um, and then just parents as teachers, healthy families, just any kind of resources to help these moms. Um, because these moms are gonna go home with a challenge that even though they're in treatment, they still are being taxed by a baby that may not be perfect when you send them home. So any kind of support you can get in with that mom is key. And infant, infant infant-toddler services, like we talked about throughout our initiative, and a lot of times those are through your early Head Start programs, especially in the rural areas. So um, And the Maternal Child Health Program is an active link map that resource that will show you everything avail- available in your area. So, and I think next slide please. And I think that's Tara, so.
1: Betsy, phenomenal example of uh, a best case scenario. I just, can I ask you a question? How, how long has that, we'll call it a care team. How long has that been set up that well? Cause I would say that that's streamlined, connected, highly communicative team. How long did it take you to get to that, that place?
2: So we started our program in 2014, and it's gotten to the point where when our OBs identify a mom, then now they call us in the NICU to get the moms into treatment, or if they come in through triage, it's kind of now it's put onto the NICU to get the moms into treatment, which is fine, um, because we know we're getting them where they need to go. Um, And that's where your screening, which a lot of our birth hospitals were working on, um, we'd love for our OBs to do the screening and identification and get the moms into early treatment versus waiting until they deliver to get treated. If we can get them into early treatment, that's a beautiful thing.
1: Stay tuned, we're gonna talk about that in my case study, Betsy. (laughs) Nice feed. Um, I highlighted, and I should have said something prior to Betsy's conversation, but I highlighted in Betsy's case study, the people, the titles involved that were officially the postpartum care team for Betsy's case. And let's not miss the challenge of the fact that as Betsy described, there's an infant care team and there's a maternal care team, right? So in that scenario, There's actually three. There's a mom plan, a maternal postpartum plan, and an infant plan. And and coordinating all of those people on the care team, um, Betsy's group has done tremendous work on the NAS side to do that. I'm gonna challenge us to create this and do this quickly on the maternal side. It does take a while. and, And yet, I know as you listen to Betsy, we all want that kind of streamlined care for our moms. The important steps that you hear Betsy talk about and, and again, ask yourself what you see in your clinics, um, in your uh, hospitals, uh, in your home births, wherever you're taking care of patients. What are the steps that we know create a good um, center or circle of care around that mom? On the prenatal side, certainly we're talking about screening questions. Betsy just mentioned, we'd like to identify women, not just in terms of, of um, uh, N.A.S. work, but just in general, what are the things that we just talked about um, that we could begin to work on prior to delivery? What are the referrals? What are the connections? What toolkits are out there to help? This is my job to make sure all of you know about those things. The circle of care would continue in a best case scenario like Betsy described when she hits labor and delivery. Then we have, Then we have two patients, right? And then on the postpartum side, A postpartum care team is a group that provides expert medical care. There's a referral from hospital to the outpatient clinic, um, OB provider to OB provider. Perhaps it's just, I see a patient on the postpartum side that I delivered and I make sure that my team back in my office knows what's going on and we start to connect dots there. But all of those connections and picking up the phone (laughs) is extremely important. Um, again, all the referral networks that are set up that you heard Betsy talk about, there's a lot involved, but it's it gets easier once everybody knows who to call. Locally, we call it the bat phone. Betsy clearly became the bat phone for NAS, and so who in your community do you need to connect to create the bat phone experience? Next slide, please. So it's my turn. Um, Betsy and I talked about you know, let's do an infant side and let's do a mom side. So ironically, just as Betsy set me up, case study two is is, uh, the scenario of, man, I wish we knew in pregnancy as if we were coordinated, Betsy. Uh, this is a gravida one para zero, first pregnancy. Unplanned for this young lady, but she was really excited. Um, and of course, the father of the baby, uh, we evaluate who's involved and we found out that in fact, he was involved. I will tell you COVID has made that a little bit trickier when they're not coming in with their significant others. We have to do some more questions um, and find out who are the support systems to include the father of the baby, but this this guy was involved and very excited as well. She initiated care, like we hope for her to in first trimester. She met our team locally, which includes uh, the OB outpatient um, clinic nurse, the OB navigator who met with her that first visit and throughout her pregnancy became very invested in her care. And then that provider, that Tara Strota lady. Um, So those are the folks that were involved in her prenatal care. A medical history for her. She reported depression to us, uh, but was on a medication because she discontinued in first trimester. She believed that that was the most uh, helpful thing to her baby. Um, I, we screened her um, at the first visit and throughout her pregnancy. Um, not the conversation today. That's in February, but I will tell you that that was helpful social history. She was recently displaced from her family. Her, we live next to a, a military community and we often see displacement from the family unit for our moms. Um, and sure enough, she was one of them. They had, she had moved and followed her boyfriend here who was stationed at Fort Riley. Um, she, at the time of, of beginning uh, prenatal care, she admitted to marijuana use, uh, which to me is a, um, a good red flag for I'm um, treating my depression with my drugs, not your drugs, Tara. Um, and so we had further conversation um, about that. Just when I thought I had it all figured out, uh, she presented to the emergency room at 18 weeks, second trimester with complaints of a urinary tract infection. Uh, my uh, emergency room colleagues noted erratic behavior for her that night and were concerned did a urine drug screen and sure enough, found barbiturates um, on that. Um, next slide. What happened next, and I'm getting goosebumps as ridiculous as that is, but this was huge to us that we had a connection that happened because that the nurse called, referred the patient, or told the patient before, before discharge um, that, that we wanted to help and was really good about wraparound to make the patient feel confident and protected and said, we just want to make sure that you follow up with Tara, we can help. But tonight, we're going to send you home. We're going to make sure that you're okay before you leave. But we're going to make sure that those folks know and can help you first thing tomorrow. And sure enough, the ED notes to me, um, again, we have have a good system finally set up with that. But they came back to me and showed um, that my patient had had a concern. They also called me the next day to make sure that I knew that there was a concern that they had with this patient and asked me to follow up. We got her in to see her a couple days later. We had a great conversation about what was happening, and kind of like Betsy's story, this was a young lady that was hiding um, a pretty significant addiction and had felt guilty um, in telling me. And, you know, through the years, I've changed my story of how I ask patients screening questions, I've changed what tool I use a million times. But sometimes it just takes a while for the patient and the provider to have an honest conversation and, and to just bring it up. I would tell you many providers still don't bring it up. Um, but in this scenario, she was she was willing and able to to have good conversation with me. We did do an Edinburgh, um, actually that visit just to see what the baseline because she the previous Edinburgh showed no red flags. Uh, but this one showed a score of 16 with a negative number 10. And if you would know the Edinburgh uh, scoring system well, number 10 is the suicidal question. And so whenever we report off Edinburgh's, we always tell number of the score, 16 total, anything above 10, by the way, a score of 10 is a, is a red flag, but negative number 10, or if it was a positive, she's got positive suicidal ideations, but that's how we report. And so... Um, that was her next, um, evaluation after this, after the sign in the emergency room with me, that was the Edinburgh. So what we did, uh, uh, we bat phoned, uh, we surrounded her by our postpartum or excuse me, our antepartum care team. Um, the navigator went in to see the patient that same day with me. We got a referred in for substance abuse, um, care felt like she was safe in the home and felt like she had safe resources around her for follow-up and because we worked hard, to get this to be the case, but we have an integrated mental health program in my office. And so we were able to get her in to a visit within three days to just talk about what was going on, including the fact that quite frankly, she was just terrified to be pregnant. We placed the patient on the high-risk OB team list, um, which is a protected um, uh, listing of uh, patients, their due dates and concerns. Um, That's a non-disclosed document that we use only for our care team um, meetings and it is a communication tool. And so we put the patient there so that we would know that there is uh, some red flags and that we need to keep our eye on her. And we did go ahead and discuss uh, her success because she did really, really well, off and on (laughs) throughout her care. Uh, At two months prior to delivery, we always make sure that we're really honing in on those women that that are soon to be due so we can prepare for the postpartum side of that. Next slide. Unfortunately, a few hiccups happened in her care. Um, she did lose her insurance in the third trimester. And, and because of that, felt like she couldn't come for care. Um, despite there being programs available in our, on our area for, for coverage of that time, she missed her appointments. So our OB navigator reached out to her, um, encouraged her to use the resources provided and sure enough, she came back to us. She went into labor at 37 weeks, delivered a healthy girl, father baby was present, layers and layers of family were involved Um, and the high-risk ob team of course was already aware of her supportive of her birth um, and prepared for whatever came next in terms of high risk or low risk care for both the mom and the baby supported by all the things and all the people you heard about but because we knew um, it helped Um, mom had dabbled when she disappeared from me Um, in third trimester we we definitely saw Um, all the things that you worry about happen. And when she came back to me, she hung her head, but that's okay. We still delivered a 37 week baby and we knew what to do because our hospital um, is an NAS hospital. Um, Care was initiated, Uh, baby did really well, um, did not get transferred and was only here for three days stay. On the mom's side, the group that you see listed there was all involved immediately postpartum and then began to connect dots on the on the outpatient side. So the bedside nurse, the OB providers, the infant provider, in this case it was a pediatrician, our navigator, um, our hospital social worker and the DCF case manager. Uh, we ended up referring to DCF prior in the, in the earlier part of the pregnancy this patient had a case manager already assigned and that worked really nicely to just update and get a plan for postpartum um, observation. We had to pay attention um, to this patient's insurance because we knew that that, that was part of her access concern. And if we, if we didn't help her with insurance and it lapsed again, we were concerned about her outcomes changing. We made sure that she had all the resources for, for continuing enrollment. and and insurance we made sure she had a follow-up appointments very specifically outlined connected so baby and mom appointments were as close together as possible in the facility and we referred her right back into mental health which again was integrated um, in our office she saw me at two weeks and six weeks Um, I will tell you that ACOG says three weeks I get a little nervous at two with some of these folks and so um, if their blood pressure is okay but I'm nervous about three I see them at two (laughs) We all have different protocols, but I saw her at two, checked in on her, reestablished what was going on, and then saw her back at six. She also followed up in our breastfeeding clinic um, with the urine drug screen that was set up through DCF in terms of what they felt comfortable with and needed to see. Um, and she continued that process uh, for one month and was, and was in fact clean and did beautifully well with her baby. We put an IUD in at four weeks because she was really concerned about having another baby close together um excellent on her behalf and so sure enough at four weeks at our uh, federally qualified health center here in in gary county they they put an excellent on in again coordinated effort to to prevent a negative outcome next slide please so what did betsy and i just talk about Um, we talked about multiple layers and lots of people um, that our facilities both on the um, inpatient side and the outpatient side got together to improve a mom's health and babies and babies. The mom plan has to be part of our story, but the postpartum care plan and getting the right team in place has to be a priority for all of us. A healthy mom comes out of this scenario. So even though it takes a little bit to get going, the importance of this dual effort cannot be lost. Next slide, please. Again, I'm going to remind you the folks that ACOG recommends are officially part of your care team. And I would suspect that many of your facilities, some of these folks again like we talked about may be the same person, an OB provider could be a, the same uh, person's primary care provider. I'm the lactation person at our facility, one of them, and so I'm the OB provider and the lactation support. But again, it's okay if you are serving multiple roles, as long as we make sure all the dynamics of all the things that she needs are set up. For some of our medically high-risk patients, um, our preeclamptic patients, for example, um, those with cardiovascular diseases and underlying um, condition, The idea of setting patients up with a specialty provider, perhaps inpatient, or perhaps immediately postpartum, needs to be on your radar. And who is that person? Does everybody know who that is? And do we have dots that are connected or are they not quite there yet? And we need to focus in on that. But again, these are the people that we need. Next slide. This is just a a pictorial view of what we did locally. Again, your circle of care. If you need to draw it out in a circle, Um, What does this look like for a woman and for a baby? That everybody is connected and everybody knows what each other are doing um, so that this mom knows how to get help and we can jump in at any point and make sure that she's okay. Next slide. So there's your homework assignment. Who is your postpartum care team? What do they look like? What do we need? and what comes next. Again, every patient may not need all of those things, but I would suspect that a vast majority do. Um, And if she needs four or five of those in the list you see in front of you, great. But who is in charge of making sure that she gets all of those people ready for her? Who is in charge of making sure that she has the resources to get to those people or for them to get to her? And who is in charge of of figuring out what are the gaps in your community? And that's the charge to us um, in Kansas, is to figure out how to connect those those things. Next slide, please. I'm gonna take pause for a second. Uh, We've got about nine minutes left, a couple of slides just to talk about next time, because we're going to continue this conversation, but it's going to be very specific next month regarding maternal mental health at the bedside. And how do you have a conversation that elicits resources and best practice models when the patient looks you in the eye and tells you or writes you a note? Betsy's story, I can only imagine that nurse, she looked at that note and thought, I know what to do, because <laughs> I would guess that there are many nurses that would look to that note and gone. I have no idea what to do right now, but I know who to call. So that's what's important. But let me stop. Um, and anything on your radar that we need to pay attention to from the chat. Thanks, Tara.
0: Um- I have turned the chat back on so that you can uh, talk with everyone. But do remember, you have to use the drop down to to change it so that you're sending your message to everyone. Um, no, the answer is I don't have any questions that appeared in, in my chat. However, there was one uh, question and answer exchange that you can see in the chat now, where um, where Terry asks about the Medicaid. Uh, ex- excuse me, the um, payer sources that you shared in your slide. Um, And then we got an answer from Casey Terrell from KDHE um, explaining what we think is being reported in the vital statistics, although she's going to double check on that.
1: Awesome. I wish I had another hour with everybody because I would love to hear some input and feedback from you guys as you're talking about your postpartum care teams. Just know that I take it as um, an important task to myself and those on our team that we wanna connect with all the birth centers that NAS did and even more on the maternal side, on the outpatient side too, to begin to formulate these care teams or help you establish um, or fix gaps in your community. I'm excited to do the work with you all. Next slide, please. Um, This is just a reminder for me to tell you all, and actually, um, next slide. or a laser pointer, that was fun. <laughs> these two slides are produced and you'll see them on the slide deck um, when you get out there. But these came from our KCC um, colleagues that are gonna present next next month. Already they're making sure that you guys know that there's training coming up, the provider consultation line for perinatal behavioral health on February 2nd. Um, we will, again, that, that link's been sent out to you all. If you have concerns or questions, I'll funnel them to them um but great things and free things and always present things are available to anyone who wants to know more and so the conversation of billing and coding for maternal depression screening was that previous slide and then certainly this conversation of, of training that are available and then the next one please
0: actually tara there's a question oh. in the chat asking do you have an expert uh, screening brief intervention and, and referral to treatment provider on your care team
1: on our care team. I would specific to listed on the care
0: team that's there. I'm sorry, I missed the question. Um, Dana is asking whether you have an expert provider on your care team. So I assume that oh, so, uh, delivered- Locally,
1: locally. Um, I wouldn't say they're officially expert. no. But yes, we do have folks that are, um, we connect in our region that are officially expert folks. Locally, we do the, uh, I would say we do the screening really well. The referral network is set up, but nobody that's in Junction City. I think that would be answering your question. If not, email me. Don't hesitate. Okay, next slide. And I think we're about there. Oh, Ann, I'll let you take that over. And I just want to tell everybody, thank you so much for making time today. And I look forward to seeing you next month.
0: Please do save the date for May 11. It doesn't say it on the slide, but May 11 is the spring general meeting of the Kansas Perinatal Quality Collaborative. Um, in the past, when we met in person, that was a full day meeting. And in, also in the past, when we met virtually, we've done it in different ways. And so I, I can't tell you exactly what part of the day to reserve, but please block the day, May 11, for the spring general meeting of the KPQC. And Tara, if there isn't anything else, I don't see any—Dana um, oh, does uh, express that you answered her question, thanks. Um, so I believe with that, uh, you, the, you can see the registration for February is um, in the chat. Please go ahead and, and register for the Tuesday, February twenty third, learning forum, which is on the mental health toolkit for the bedside provider. Um, And then I will get these slides out um, on the KPQC website um, on Monday the 1st. You will see those um, listed along with all of the rest of the resources from today's learning forum. Um, Do be sure and um, subscribe to the podcast if podcasting is something that you enjoy and a good way for you to keep uh, on top of what's happening with the fourth trimester initiative do save the date for May 11, the spring general meeting of the KPQC. And on behalf of us here at the KPQC, I'd like to thank Betsy Knappen. So good to see your face again. And thank you for agreeing to present uh, for us today. And thank you for your time and interest. We look forward to talking again next month.